Is there any better feeling than getting paid for something you absolutely love doing that's fun? Well, if so, you need to check out Money Master's Guide, Game Mastering for Fun and Profit by RJ Productions. The Money Master's Guide shows you several ways to pivot your already creative skills as a game master into a profitable side hustle. In today's world, everyone needs just a little side money to help make ends meet. Why not find ways to use your gaming hobby to help pay those bills? With Money Master's Guide, you'll look at many different paths and actionable activities that you can do to help put you on the path to becoming a money master. Visit rebrand.ly Money Master's Guide now and start rolling in the dough. Good structure for D&D falls down to basically three core tenets. Good beginnings, good middles, and good ends. Today we're going to help delve into how to do that a little better than just that one single line. Welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I'm your host, Ian, and Brandon is around. <laughs> yeah, he's he's running late, which is weird because he didn't have to drive to the studio. So, I probably has some issues with the kids. Yeah, yeah, that's kids. That's what he always says. I'm starting to think there's something to that. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Um, just want to give a heads up. We are doing remote because my family and I got COVID and I like these two weirdos enough to not get them sick. So just wanted to jump right in. I'm really excited for today's topic. Um, before we jump into this, uh, Ian, do you have anything you want to, uh, make sure we kind of touch on or add or just kind of do it as we go? Um, obviously when you, for this one, the topic is basically like, as usual, how to build a good game, but I th- think it doubles down on as a DM, basically doing good prep ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think that uh, that's uh, a, a couple tools here we're going to talk to you about help you do that. So obviously, the very first thing is the hook, right? From the beginning, players should want their characters to be involved in the challenge of whatever the adventure is. The hook is used to pull the characters into the adventure and must be compelling or personal or both to players and their characters. Here is where knowing your players and their characters goals really does pay off. Um, So you want to use that knowledge to make compelling hooks, right? Hooks though are definitely a good balancing act. Like on one hand in theory and paper, Players should be, in general, grabbing hooks just to move the adventure along. That said, sometimes a DM presents a hook that was so bad that there are times we have where some players do show up and go, why would we do that? Or, and I think you've talked about that on the show before, where yeah. you had like a criminal background and were wanted in this place, and the DM's like, we're going to start here. And I was very much like, why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> Um, one that really worked for me is, 
Um, I was playing, uh, it was D and D it was before it was fifth edition, it was D and D next. And they had, they had released the, the, uh, the, the Fandolin adventure. And I was playing one of the rogue backgrounds and in order, and there's kind of a bit of a tie in there with the red brands. Right. And my DM actually played on that quite a bit to drag my character to Fandolin because, uh, he said that your aunt had been like attacked by the red brands and that's why you're, you know, the going to to help the friend was just kind of a, a, a bonus to getting to uh, Fandolin, right? And so that was a really good tie-in for that character, why he was going that direction, even if he wasn't interested in helping the 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 dwarf dude f- uncover whatever secrets he had. Brandon, what about you? Any great hooks that have really been compelling for you or your characters? Uh, actually, yeah, I just recently did a hook for my characters, and that was that uh, they spent so much time uh, role-playing, all this stuff, and said, hey, there's this big bad guy, he's taking over the world, it's the whole Final Fantasy comics coming ordeal, and you're just, you're just not doing anything about it. It's like, eh, the comic will wait. It's the whole thing. So, uh, I, I let one of the big bad guy's uh, generals kidnap their favorite NPC, which kind of put a fire on their ass. So, that worked pretty well. Very cool. I like that. And it just occurred to me that your face is shaven and uh, it clearly is. You're just tired of getting old like I was and had to yep. had to scratch the baby face itch, right? Uh, I, I just, I, so, anyway. I thought you were lonely. So. <laughs> you're wrong. Uh, anyway, so the hook is super important and this is why it's important to make sure you kind of peek through your, your character's backgrounds and their, their, their ideals, their bonds and flaws because this is where you can take that and and create those you know those hooks uh, those hooks lines and yeah. sinkers that will draw them in. Obviously, you want to do your best to co- compile them together so that you get multiples that'll pull each player kind of the same direction. Before we move on, something I do want to touch on with hooks is we did p- touch on that. Obviously, tapping into a player's background definitely catches that char- player's interest for that character. But I definitely do think that if you, the DM, are going to introduce elements that are part of a player's background, make sure that they know about said elements beforehand. Oh, yeah. Don't don't just uh, suck them in uh, unknowingly, if you can. It's well, best to let well one know. example I used before, too, was um, at the end of one adventure, we went to our usual bar that we owned, and the DM ended the game saying, Oh, by the way, Ian, your character's brother's here. Me? I have a brother. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you definitely are free to use what they've written, but altering the stuff too much yep. is definitely something you want to avoid. Or even just Especially yesterday, different DM, 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 he used to like, like in the middle of combat, we, we ended up fighting a revenant and it was going for a child, but then the revenant went, went for me. I'm like, well, that was a surprising response given what revenants are. But then the DM starts like blasting me with sex. Oh, that's because you, you, you know this revenant. Me? I know this revenant. <laughs> oh yeah, that's because you killed him. I killed him? <laughs> yeah, you know his name. It's this. <laughs> His name is this. The, the, other, the other players? Well, if you knew the guy, why didn't you say this one before? I didn't know I knew the guy until the DM texted me. So, yeah, and that's all great points. <laughs> we um, sexy So, bitches. moving on to choices. Players and characters' choices need to matter in a good adventure. Not only must they matter, but also, in at least a few cases... Those choices must be important to the adventure's end, right? Your communication skills and information flow 
become especially important here as a dungeon master. You must give the players enough information, even in simple situations, for them to make meaningful decisions and choices, right? That's what makes an adventure stand out is when the players make a decision in action and you can see the side effects of it or the impact of that choice, right? Nothing is worse than choosing the left door or the right door and it being the same on the other side, right? Ugh. You want to make those choices meaningful. Have you guys experienced a situation where it wasn't yep. the case or it worked out really, really Once well? Once again, though, I do think that there's a balance there. I think it's one thing where it's one thing for the players to not have a choice, but it's another thing to execute in a way that's so well done that players don't realize they did not have a choice. But you put something in a way where they thought they did. They might only realize that if you tell them after the fact. Side note, don't tell your players that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> right, right. It's a good one. I like that. What about you, B? Ah, uh, Umpires make so many choices. Well, I think one of the most recent ones was one of my players keeps screwing with dragons in such a way that like, I, I try to let him get away with it, but I finally decided to say, you know what? Go ahead. Make, make a choice. I want to see what you do. Uh, so they finally fought down this dragon, right? And he says, I'm going to take the shotgun, and I'm going to put it right into the eye of the dragon. It's like, okay, is you sure you want, want to do that? So I accept absolutely, absolutely what I want to do. Roll a deck save. He failed. I bit his arm off, so now he can't use two hand weapons. <laughs> <laughs> and I told him, I was like, dude, it's coming. Um, and choices matter. <laughs> So, okay, I got a good one to go with this. I wasn't going to speak up on this, but I think it's worth sharing. Um, so I'm running the game for the kids, a D&D game for the kids at the church on Wednesdays. And I decide I'm going to start them off as the Adventurers Guild, right? When I think Adventurers Guild, I think very much like the ones of, uh, um, of the old fable, right? Where some of the heroes that come out are really questionable <laughs> whether they're heroes, right? But I made the uh, I made the the, 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 the guildmaster really powerful, really strong, and kind of a I don't give a damn kind of mentality. And one of the player characters decided he was gonna be a cannibal. <laughs> he also decided at the last moment he's gonna be a dickhead too. So he's up there and he starts just standing, he stands his character up, he starts shouting at the guildmaster how he wants to challenge him and take his place. The guildmaster sent him to another dimension, and all that comes back is the lower half of his body, as if he was just devoured. And they're like, did that just happen? I literally reached over, I grabbed the character sheet I had printed for him and tore it in half. I'm like, time to play another one. Here's your options. And they learned a very uh, hefty lesson. And he says without missing a beat, don't worry, children, everyone. He, it's fine. He was a cannibal. <laughs> but anyway, so um, that was a choice that he made, right? And they went in knowing that this guy isn't exactly the nicest. He's there to do work and protect people, and he'll take out whoever is preventing that. But anyways, so choices need to have um, meaningful – those are meaningful decisions and consequences. Kind of going off of that, I think it's important, too, to have choices have consequences. Like you, in your example, gave a great, great one of, well, play dumb games, win dumb prizes. <laughs> <laughs> and what or i've definitely seen countless horsers online where like but my paladin's lawful good why is everyone trying to kill him you mean your quote lawful good paladin that took half to develop hostages and bring these half down 
for money. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, and that's something that goes. Okay, so we're kind of getting sidetracked a little bit, but choices when you're pl- when you're des- when you're designing out the adventure, make sure that you're putting choices that they see the impact of. Right. Um, a, a really good common example that I've done multiple times is, hey, by the way, there's you know, um, there's been these raids going on in this village over here. Oh, they don't take the hook. That village no gets sacked and is no longer there. And other cities are seeing the refugees come from it. So they made the choice not to go help, and now they yeah. see the the impact of that. Right? Um, these people are sad. They're homeless. Nobody wants to help them. They basically were scared out of their their homes. So you want to include those decisions, and then make sure you have a plan of how it's going to be revealed to them based on the choice they made. Uh, even if it's two doors, <laughs> make the rooms different. <laughs> um, a good adventure provides good varied challenges that test the adventurers and stimulate the players. Each different encounter needs to help emphasize attack, defense, skill use, problem solving, investigation, and role playing on some level. Make sure the encounters invite the players' behavior you want and help draw out and reward that behavior. And obviously, it helps to know the character's capabilities so you can build encounters to test that resource. And yeah. we touched on this in the past. Like, yeah, a lot of people design modules. Yeah, people design like a five room dungeon, for example. But we've also put forth in the past hey, design the rooms around each player character. So each one has something to do in each of those rooms. Mm, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's something that really lets you, as the uh, DM, put the spotlight on each character's skill set um, in various ways. Okay, if you've got the optimizer, give him the goal of stalking something and trying to take it out all on his own while mm-hmm. everyone else is dealing with something else. You might have a player that loves the lore aspect of D&D, right? So maybe they take proficiency in arcana and history. So when they're traveling through the dungeon, put a couple clues there. Oh, this, you know, sigil says that this temple once belonged to uh, this red dragon cult. And then sure enough, down the uh, down the path, maybe you say, oh, it's from the red dragon cult. You recall that they used to be notorious for, you know, statues that breathe fire. Lo and behold, hey, there's two <laughs> dragon statues. So you can reward that that kind of um, character focus with a challenge that reflects what they want to see. So now they've got these things that breathe fire. They didn't step into them. They know they're there. How are they going to deal with it? So you create a new problem for them to have to overcome in your story feeding off of the lore and knowledge investigation and role play that the other character had. Wow. Yep. <laughs> and not all challenges necessarily what you would necessarily expect too. Cause we also touch on like skill use and many times, most mm-hmm. many DMS and granted, this is true in many cases that skills are either you succeed or you fail. That's it. But making a sliding scale is good. Like, for example, let's say I did a perception check in a dungeon to see what was up ahead. And you either see the enemies up ahead, or you don't see the enemies up ahead. But there's so many ways you could do it. Like, a correct way would be saying, let's say, like, you need a 12 to succeed, but you roll a 10. The DM might say, you see one enemy ahead. When, if they succeeded, the DM would then say, you see three enemies ahead. (laughs) If they exceeded... 
by like mm-hmm. by rolling a twenty, you see five enemies ahead. I like that because then and it, it's one of those things where there's right. a a range of success, right? And uh, challenges uh, in your stories are a good way to do that beyond just combat too, or like you did with the visual. Something that I come into mind, um, having challenges that have specific ways to pass it with one or two characters. So uh, for instance, they say never put a door in front that your players can't open, right? Well, I did that. I put a door in front of them that they couldn't open. It was bound by a magic lock. The arcane lock one, right? And but there was one small, small little hole section um, that went all the way through in the uh, little crack in the wall that went all the way through. They had a druid. It didn't take long. Oh well, a couple prodding from other players, they finally realized you could turn into a spider and walk through, and maybe open it from the other side. It's like, well, then I won't be able to wild shape later. That's a choice they had to make. So they they basically are like, well, maybe we can go find another one, which there was another way in, or they could expend a precious resource just to open a door. And that's what they ended up doing. But I had multiple ways for different players to specialize in opening that door. The spellcaster could have did went into a, um, they could have used uh, Dispel Magic, but they hadn't prepared it, right? <laughs> or they could have went into like a skill challenge for pulling the energy out of the door or a number of other regular ways to break through it. But that was the simplest path. So having those challenges in a variety of ways really makes your adventure that much better and engaging to the players. Two other things that came to mind too is going back to the example we had of um, like with the varying skill level. One was in like, I know I used this example before a while back, but during the playtest, we were going through a dungeon, and it was we made clear that there's a juggalich in the dungeon somewhere, and I rolled a perception check, and the DM said, you see some reptilian humanoids up ahead. I'm like, oh, kobolds. Got it. No problem. And my character, who was a, a feather, rushed in, started engaging them, but then they decided to now start kicking my, curb stomping me. It's like, these are way different than kobolds. <laughs> It's like, oh yeah, those aren't kobolds. Those are lizard folk. Oh, those are way different. <laughs> Much stronger, right? But that would not have happened had the the DM not described them to me, and I assumed instead of, say, instead of saying those are lizard folk. It's kind of like how. But I think that's a good talent to do, though, right. is to not use the words to describe them, right? Unless your character would know exactly what they are. Like how many which, times, in like case, uh, in the some, some example where you see some DMs were assaulted, like, oh, my players when they when they got into a fight with the troll, they immediately start using fire. And to which a lot of people replied back, "It's your fault. You told them it was a troll. Had you said it was a huge humanoid, <laughs> those those pesky stegosaurus." <laughs> Right, right. And that's something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) I don't think everybody knows what you're talking about. Um, I'm really big on knowledge checks and their range of success, including if it's low enough, misidentifying something. Yeah. So when uh, uh, our patron, during one of our patron games, Brandon and some other folks uh, fought, thought they were fighting stegosauruses until they charged in and started to turn to stone. Uh, <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were gorgons, right? Yeah. Uh, or basilisks. Um, so challenges can take a variety of forms. 
Um, but change it up. Make, don't always make it always attack, always defense, skills, you know, investigation. Give it a nice, give it a variety, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon, would you like to tell us about the next adventure structure? Excitement. Ooh. Yes. Uh, the tension should build in a good adventure, whether it's uh, structure is event-based or settings-based. Ooh. An event-based adventure focuses on things the characters do rather than the places they go. A setting-based adventure makes the location the centerpiece for the action. You definitely, both on the player and the DM side, get out of something what you put into it. It's, but my point, though, is it goes both ways. And I think it does feed into the hooks to give, the choices the players make. The hooks that the DMs give, the choices the players make. There we go. And what challenges they go into it. Like, I remember... I played a Star Trek game and no one had fun. And the DM's like, well, it's not my fault you didn't participate. It's like, you made it a biological science-based adventure. Bridge crew, who's a helmsman, security guy, and so on and so forth. Like, none of our roles fit that adventure. (laughs) Yeah, and that's something... uh, I see where you're going. So that is something the DM has to consider at every adventure that you run. And of course, what made that Um, worse was the... DM blame the players for his failings. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, don't 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 do that. Um so let's talk a little bit about uh I want to give a good example of a setting-based adventure that makes the location the 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 focus, right? So one of my uh favorite, you know, exciting adventures was when the players had to help fight a volcano. Now, and a volcano is an en- not an enemy that they can just beat, right? It's erupting. The flow of lava is coming down. It's fleshing out uh, beasts and monsters are, are running away from this stampeding. So the challenge in this um, uh, adventure wasn't to fight some grand monster. It was to save the people to the best of their ability. So abilities like mold earth and, you know, create water, take on whole new focus points, right? Oh, and so yeah. they okay that yeah you know I've, you've all seen it with superman where the dam breaks and he cold breaths and freeze it that's very different for level three players <laughs> um they don't have those big powers yet so doing building something that has a rising uh uh attention is really engaging especially when they've been in that town for a little bit and have gotten to know some of the npcs who are screaming for them to save them it's you know my life's work all that sort of stuff and um, the excitement can come from more than just regular boss fights. Uh, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I, said, I got the literal image of adventurers going and punching a mountain. <laughs> 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 this volcano stabs down. <laughs> it's got a million hit points. Right, they got a long ways to go. But it's actually uh, uh, something that happened that I hadn't counted on was them using their. Uh, we were playing through. Uh, I think it was the Princess of Apocalypse, or was that the Sandbox one? Yeah. What? What? There's. It was the Elemental. Mountain <laughs> Temple of Elemental Evil. That was pretty sandboxy too. I think it was that one. I think somebody else mentioned Princess of Apocalypse. Me. But in the <laughs> Temple of Elemental Evil, um, that's where that happened, and they wanted to use their faction connections to get more support. And I thought that was cool, having you know Harpers pop out, you know, with um, a, 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 a collection of. Uh, secret whisperers or passersbys who could go and get more people. You have the um, the who are the the people with the gauntlet, the Lords Alliance? Is that it or 
Anyways, um, whatever it is, the they, they all come in with all these extra pieces of help. And so the party game, you know, advantages from that. And that was an exciting thing because they became as the uh, nickname, the Firewalkers, right? Because they, you know, save these villages from, you know, melting. So anyways, uh, the next adventure structure you're going to want to focus on, and this is a big one, is climax. Even the simplest adventures should have a dramatic dramatically decisive moments when crucial knowledge or decisive action pays off or the villain gets what's coming to him those are some fun ones a sprawling dungeon complex or a long you know event-based adventure might have several such instances which are a big payoff at the ultimate end of the adventure this is important climax this is where all your excitement and challenges and stuff have, have lifted up your story. Your players are engaged. They're excited for what's about to happen. They're about to fight this, this um, mad wizard that is just taking control of these giant, archaic, giant constructs. And they are just steamrolling all around the world. And getting to that moment where he finally gets what he... Uh, gets and you get to shut him down is an exciting moment especially when the players get to see that i'm sure i've told this story before where that i gave the players all npc characters and had them fighting this basically i think they took on the role of like uh, elves or something um and they were fighting back as this giant construct was just destroying their entire village and they were losing and they were dying and it was bad we went back to the adventurers uh they started the adventure they fought the villain the 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 giant crazy wizards you know loses control of the robots the plot plowers destroy the the characters destroy the the big focus part and then we go back to the npcs as this thing is just plowing through and it goes to smash and obliterate them and and comes to a stop Ooh, i i just thought of an adventure where you go through a dungeon and you fight and of course you have to deal with a bunch of mini bosses and when you get to the boss the boss has the abilities of every single mini boss that you that the player is killed with your powers combined <laughs> because they're absorbing their abilities as, as they're killed so as a result a a, it creates a, a climactic boss fight, especially if the, the players are murder hobos. B, it creates consequences yeah. for the actions of being murder hobos. C, the boss will not be that powerful like had they f- use alternative methods of not killing to take out these guys. Yep, like tossing them into prison or something. Or binding them or teleporting them to a different dimension or <laughs> transmuting Any them. Any number of ways besides stabbing them, right? Yep. <laughs> or blowing up. What's the coolest climax you guys have ever seen in a game? In D&D, please. Right. Uh <laughs> Probably the only time I ever got to the end of a campaign, and that was uh, Strong Kicks Thunder. Yeah, at the end with the with the uh, airships and the dragons. Yeah, that was a good one. And and all, everyone and us becoming the Azure Crows. It was really cool. Climax is super important. Um, I really like plot twists. I think plot twists are a lot of fun and can go a long way. I'm not talking about just turning around and a good ally stabbing them in the back, but I do like the ones where a, a, per, a been a bad, right? A person who's been a reliable source of support turns out to be the person actually that they're fighting against indirectly because they have opposing goals or they have the same goal, but they think it needs to be achieved in a different way. I did that. Um, and those are some of my favorite. How so? Oh, okay, so the game where the players had to, they got thrown into the future, right? Um, 
they get thrown a thousand years into the future, mm-hmm. and uh, the elven goddess of time is the one who did it. Her name is Zendrana. Well, at every point of contact they've had with people in the future, for like the first two months of this entire campaign, was with her. So she's telling them all the stuff that's going on in the world, and the only information that they have is from her. The big bad evil guy is trying to open a portal to a new world to destroy that world because he's done with this world. He, they need to find seven relics to bring them together to make a massive weapon. They gotta find these relics because it creates a weapon strong enough to kill the big bad guy. Uh, they get two of them and they get betrayed because all the temples are guarded by lawful good dragons and they know they can smell the uh, the bad guys. It's like, okay, I know that you work with the big bad guy. I'm not letting you into my temple. So they've been stealing people from time that they don't work with, and they send them on this mission to get the relics for them. So they had all this trust in this person, and it completely got shut down. Yeah. I love that. Um, Just remember, you know, a tough fight itself doesn't constitute a climactic encounter. The last encounter should be something fantastic and epic that is not normal. And not something that they've experienced. Brandon mentioned the 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 and when we did uh, Storm King's Thunder, I hated the way the fine the last battle ended. You fight a dragon in a desert. It was stupid. It was boring. It was not fun. So I rewrote it to where they were fighting another ship on an airship while fighting a dragon, and that to me was far more engaging yeah, than just basically an arena battle. Us. Um, yeah, after you told us, it's like, oh yeah, it was gonna be just be a dragon in the in the desert. Yeah. Like, really? Well, you did a much better job than that. So, it yeah, definitely it was, raised it was, the stakes. Yeah, it was it was horrible. But anyways, so you want to? This is your chance the to 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 go above what they've seen so far. Make sure you include that. Um, obviously, it's gonna be different for every encounter. Um, but raise the stakes. Quite literally, if you're gonna be fighting a, a, a like a butcher monster, have a bunch of people on meat hooks go heading towards the grinder. Raise the stakes. Quite literally, try to rescue as many as you can while you're fighting. You know that's still more exciting than just fighting a a, oh, yeah. a, a giant boss with some you know pets. So because we were fighting the airships and not on the ground in the desert, the the storm the storm giant king would not have been thrown off the side. My character would not have jumped off the side. He would not would not have cast a fly spell on the <laughs> Storm King Giant to save him, and then my character would not would no, not have been riding, riding said Storm Giant's shoulder. <laughs> I love that. As a giant now and, flying and around, punching things. Those are the memories that get filled in, right, and are <laughs> epic. Especially when the dragon was like smashing into the yep. thing and it's rocking. You guys are sliding off every which way. I mean, I printed off some big. I don't usually use battle maps, right? But I printed this big old, They're really cool. big old giant like six sheet the thing. Chef wrecked uh, for both ships. Anyways, yeah, it was it was awesome. Compliments of uh, yeah, uh, compliments of uh, two minute tabletop. Uh, definitely check out his content. He's amazing. All right, so the last thing I want to touch on before we close out our main topic is a meaningful victory. Dear God, whatever the goal of the adventure. The character's success should be meaningful. Players should care about what happens if they fail. They should know what's at stake. They should know that if they fail, something is going to happen and it's going to suck. And I'm not just talking about their character's deaths. I'm talking about something that's going to change the the world around them. Uh, A good example would be necromancers, right? They're always trying to raise, you know, an entire army. If you fail, they do. 
So now you're continuing your adventure, maybe as different characters, maybe as the same characters, with a giant army of undead literally just steamrolling the kingdom and now role-playing out the side effects knowing they failed. Oh, oh, man. Perfect. Yep. What do you guys think? Now that happens in Critical Role, doesn't it? I have no idea. I have not li- I haven't listened past the first uh I don't know, like yeah, the first it, it hundred is, episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I just I don't have time. So like that does happen. Well, there you go. Listen to Critical Role, because that's more exciting. Did they fail? Is that what they did? They failed and uh no, but there's a huge, huge uh consequence that they do. Yeah. And it's made clear. And all your 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 adventures should be have that meaningful victory. Ian, what do you think? I don't necessarily think it needs to be necessarily a meaningful victory as much as a meaningful end. If that makes any sense. You just took the wind out of my sail with that. What the hell, dude? Well, for example, okay, <laughs> the players failed, failed an adventure to what they thought was stopping the apocalypse. Now, you could do, do one of two things. You could either, let's say, you fa- they failed, the apocalypse happens, or B, they thought they succeeded, but it turned out that they're the ones who initiated the apocalypse. Okay, fine. The apocalypse happened. Most people say, yep, game over. Oh. But what? Fair question. Oh, that'd be a shame. What happens after the apocalypse? You're, the world's still there. The wheels are still turning. What's going on in that environment? Yeah, but so... See, now, you don't think that would be pulling away from their success? Not necessarily. Because it also shows... I too, think in that's way something the you would have bigger, to use very carefully. That, that the things are still yeah. going on. If you did that, though, you'd have to make sure you're not doing that too often, I would think. True. Because I feel like that that's sucking the wind out of their sail. Like, hey, we succeeded. Actually, no, you didn't. And I can see that being a real, putting a real hamper on the mood. Maybe if it happens once, probably not a big deal. But, but it can also raise the stakes, I feel like that's too. something I would avoid. Yeah. Like, you, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. It seems. Like, I remember one example is, like, in the, okay, not that they're, they're great, but in the, in the three Netflix Godzilla movies... Short version, Godzilla took over the Earth, humans left, humans came back 10,000 years later in attempt to, to recolonize Earth. First first movie, they go down to Earth to figure out, okay, Godzilla's pr- probably dead by now. Nope, still alive. So they end up f- fighting Godzilla. <laughs> they managed to take it down. They barely won. Only for the, the scanners to pick up, uh, guys? You know how we just killed Godzilla? Yeah, why? That was the baby. <laughs> oh, no. See, those things, those are the things that just kind of like, uh, you know, so may, I think they need to be made meaningful, yeah. but I do understand that there is a place for some of that, right? Um, Wizard Katie says, our DM had us face a lunch king. I hope, <laughs> is it supposed to be lich king? Okay. Probably. Uh, a lich king. Um, and uh, in a massive tomb, we won and found his treasury after he was defeated. It was empty because he spent all his money. In the kingdom to make the tomb. <laughs> That's so devastating. <laughs> like, dude, there's no loot. So, all right. Overall, what do you guys think uh, makes a great adventure structure that you guys in the audience? Is these, do these seem like they are powerful tools that you're following in all your adventure designs? Or are you just kind of winging it like Brandon with four bullet points and hoping for the best? Sometimes so that is the best way so, to do it because it helps you stay flexible. Some people can do that, yeah. That some people can do that. I know Brandon does it really well. So Dude, I love doing it. Uh, it evolves so well. Also, I, I totally um, with Delcini. I was when he, I was reading Lunch King. I totally was thinking like a killer lunchbox. But 
Um, <laughs> overall, these are some uh, pretty powerful ideas. Go ahead, Ian. I, I cast spicy meatball. You mean fireball. I said what I said. <laughs> it is worth noting that these come out of one of my 4E Dungeon Master books. Um, if you haven't checked them out, I highly recommend it. Um, many people may not like 4E, but in my opinion, it has some of the best Dungeon Master guides. Um, hands down. So. I think the biggest sin 4E had, if you will, was it had the audacity to try something different. <laughs> yes. 4E was a great game. Just some people didn't think it was a good D&D game. All right. Anyways, I think that'll do it for our show today. Um, if you enjoy our show and you want to continue to see content from us, please consider becoming a Patreon, supporting us on uh, patreon.com slash Um This show does take a massive amount of effort and amount, a lot of work. Um, and we got lots of different reward tiers and stuff for uh, supporters of work that we uh, do. Uh, so please uh, consider tossing some coin to your academy, I guess. Um, we want to thank all of our patrons who already support us and those of you that may not support us monetarily, but share our stuff on social media, share all our YouTube videos across every D&D group you can find since it, you're not part of it and won't be considered advertising. Um, so wink. <laughs> If you enjoy the show and you want to help support us, please visit us at CritAcademy.com. Pick up some of our wonderful best-selling content. Follow us on social media. Leave us a review. All of that jazz. Like, subscribe, ring the bell. Get notified right now. And if you're not watching on YouTube, stop watching where you're at and always go watch on YouTube. <laughs> the ones that, only ones that help us pay the bills. All right. That'll do it for our show today. Um, thank you all for joining us. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. And I'm your co-host, Brandon. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, hero. God damn it, Alicia. So what was the climax? Was it the airship battle with a dragon? <laughs> <laughs> she says only Brand- uh, Brandon only climaxes with Justin. I know who the real wife is. <laughs> Crit Academy, run by 12-year-olds. Wow. I want to take issue with uh, your little uh, uh, comment, though, Ian. Didn't you? Uh, you said uh, you get to finish a campaign? Or would you, you said something like that just a second ago, right? I'm just going by a stereotype. A, That's usually true in most games. Yeah. Let's be real here. Oh, <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I feel like you've been in my games, and we've finished quite a few. Uh, I always ensure my players finish before I do. <laughs> <laughs>